Hi and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered. And at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Dr. Gemma Newman. Now, Gemma has nearly 20 years of clinical experience as a family doctor, is a member of the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine, and is on the board of Plant-Based Health Professionals UK. And it's that last part that we're really going to dig into in this episode. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while... Hi. You know that I've invited guests on to talk about the benefits of a plant-based diet sort of a little a little bit recently. And my main reason for doing this is because the research and data coming out shows just how effective it is at helping to either improve or manage lots of common health issues. So among the benefits of a whole foods diet, a whole foods plant-based diet, you have, and this is all proven, its ability to reduce inflammation to slow the aging process, reduce the risk of developing heart disease, reduce the risk of developing certain cancers, prevent the development and also reverse type 2 diabetes, improve mental health, balance hormones and keep the thyroid healthy, reduce period pains and some menopausal symptoms, improve skin health, acne and eczema, strengthen the immune system and help alleviate the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and MS. Now that's incredible, right? And as Gemma says in her book, The Plant Power Doctor, if you could get those benefits from a pill, you would take it. I know I would. I know I would. Anyway, however, any kind of diet or lifestyle change can be tricky to navigate. It can get very, very complicated. And of course, there's the thorny subject when it comes to any talk of what we eat, of weight. This is why Gemma is such a brilliant resource because she lives this way, feels the benefits and measures them in clinic and as you'll hear very clearly and methodically lays it all out so you, my most excellent listeners, can really understand how this may benefit you if this is indeed a change that you would like to make. During our conversation Gemma and I discuss what a whole food plant-based diet means why eliminating meat doesn't mean you won't be getting enough protein in your diet, the psychology of diet culture and how it can negatively affect our choices around food, and that's obviously a big, big, big issue, why diets are a short-term investment and eating a whole food plant-based diet is something that can be applied in the long term, why the food industry has led us to believe things about food that just simply aren't true or have got us used to a way of eating that perhaps isn't optimal, the impact one can have on stress and anxiety through food choices, the macro and micronutrients of whole food plant-based eating and where supplementation is and when it isn't appropriate, why Gemma wishes we could move towards conservation agriculture, food freedom, which is a term I hadn't heard before, and also intuitive eating, 
We also discuss the Sea Spiracy documentary that's gone on Netflix, if anyone else has watched it. We uh, also talk about interrogating your reasons for wanting to change the way you eat and her thoughts on healthy at any size and so much more. I was so pleased to invite Gemma on the podcast and the fact she was so willing to explore so many aspects of this conversation was for me a total joy and I hope what we have ended up creating is a really useful and actionable conversation the links to Gemma will, of course, be in the show notes, as will the book, which genuinely I rave about it because it's so easy to read. All of the information is really accessible and it's just broken down in a way that just means that you start reading it. And before you know it, you really understand so much about not just the benefits of a whole food plant based diet, but how to implement it, how to actually action it, which can be part of it, can't it? You can read these books and think, great, I want to do that, but then not really be entirely sure how. And Gemma's found a way around that, delivering all that incredible information and making it really easy to then take it away and apply it yourself, which is just so brilliant. So the links to Gemma, the links to her book will be in the show notes, but please join me in welcoming what I hope will be Gemma's first and not last trip to the podcast it's dr Gemma newman on the emma gunn show dr Gemma newman welcome to the podcast how are you i'm really well thank you so much for having me emma i'm excited to have this conversation with you you are a gp and author and the thing that you have uh, spoken about a lot recently and you have this incredible book the plant power doctor is a whole foods plant-based diet and I am so intrigued to talk to you about this because your discovery of this way of eating and we can discuss whether it's a way of eating or a lifestyle or whatever it might be um, is something that you discovered almost by accident and then started to self-experiment to see if if there was really something in it but because you are a doctor, you were able to self-experiment with tests and data, which we love on this podcast. Oh, good. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really interesting journey. And thank you for mentioning the book. It, you know, it does, it does take quite a lot of effort and time to put something like that together. And for me, it was a real journey of exploration um, through many years. And um as you say, it was kind of an accident because I came across it via my non-medic husband, really. Um, he was doing marathon training. He was really into um, running and fitness and he kept on getting inflamed and injured and he was really fed up with it. And he thought, well, I've looked at my running technique and I've looked at my, my trainers and I've looked at uh, all these different sort of ways of trying to make myself more efficient in my running. What about what I eat? Is there something I could do different there? And so he looked into the research around um, elite athletes. Now, he's not an elite athlete, but he thought, well, if they can run, you know, (laughs) 10 marathons in 10 days, what are they doing different to what I'm doing? Because I can't even do one. And he realized that they they all had something in common and they were eating far more plant based. So um, Rich Roll, Finding Ultra was his first book, which he absolutely loved. Uh, Brendan Brazier's Thrive, um, Scott Durex, Born to Run. Now, Scott Durex, arguably one of the greatest ultra runners of all time. And he was convinced. And of course, as a medic, I was a little more skeptical, but I watched with curiosity and he was doing really well. So he managed to um, go on a a whole foods plant-based diet and he was still doing the same amount of training, but he found it so much easier. He wasn't getting injured or inflamed. 
he was doing faster runs and then he decided to cut the training down a bit because he was doing so well with it. And what was unbelievable was that when he ran his uh, second London marathon, it was an hour and 10 minutes faster than his first attempt. Wow. And I was, I was, um, I was completely blown away by that. I was convinced. I thought, wow, he, I've seen him make these changes. Why, why could this be so helpful? You know, he was already eating generally healthily. So what was it about it? And you know, I began to look at some of the research around antioxidant and phytonutrient rich diets and how they can be tremendously useful for athletic recovery um, in between workouts and things like that. So I began to sort of understand how it could have made a difference, but my interest is my patients. And so, you know, I don't have athletes as patients. I have people with heart disease and cancer and diabetes and hormonal issues and skin health problems. And so I wanted to see, could this help with that? And, you know, I was really surprised and encouraged to see that there was a lot of scientific data to suggest that it really could. And that began my journey into really understanding this better. Um, and it began my passion, really. So I decided to give it a go myself secretly because I thought I didn't want to <laughs> lose face with my husband <laughs> telling him that I'd failed miserably. <laughs> so I, I, I gave it a go and I started to cook that way for the kids. And I just wanted to see what would happen because I felt fine. I didn't have any health problems or any athletic goals or anything like that. Um, but what I discovered was that, yes, I, I felt great. Um, interestingly, I, I also do a bit of running now and then. In fact, I'm doing some more at the moment now. And at that time, I realized that my uh, I used to get knee aches when I ran, you know, in my 20s. And that disappeared, uh, which was which was nice. Um, but also my cholesterol and my lipid profiles really improved. And that was something that was really a game changer for me because I've got a strong family history of heart disease. And I thought I'd done all that I could to reduce my risk, but I still had a high cholesterol. Um, and yet after about a month of plant-based eating, it went to normal, completely normal range. And I was just so happy to see that. And I thought, wow, okay. Yes, there's scientific data, but it's lovely to be able to see that applied to my own life. Of course, it, it, it feels good to do that. And, you know, I felt that when I had the confidence after reading the scientific data to start sharing some of this information with my patients, that was that was when the real magic happened. And that was a, a real joy to see. I love that listeners, you won't have been able to see this, but when Gemma told the story about her cholesterol being normal, I was like, oh my goodness. But I read this in the book, but I still find <laughs> it. I still find it so wonderful because it's this idea that you can take control, make a change, and you don't have to rely on pharmaceuticals. Not that they're not that I'm saying that pharmaceuticals aren't a good thing because I'm definitely not saying that medicines are also good. But the fact that you can make a lifestyle change that can D delay you having to maybe make those choices about medicines or just don't have to take those anymore I think is really wonderful so you began to practice this and did you begin to see results in patients well I've read the book so I know you did but how long and were people reluctant or reticent were they open-minded to whole food plant-based so you know everybody's different and I didn't want to become you know I, I think it's human nature that when you first stumble upon something that you become really passionate about you know you want to share it with the world and you think that everybody has to agree <laughs> so I didn't want to be like that with my patients because 
it's their life, it's their choice, it's their health. And I'm there as a facilitator and as a listener. And so for me, it was really important not to come across as somebody that says, you must do this. Um, and, you know, I think the amount of changes that people made and make is very much dependent on where they are at, at that time in their life. And you plant a seed and if that seed is planted at the right time with the right amount of water, the right amount of sunshine, the right amount of nurture, then it has a chance to grow and turn into a beautiful flower. But if it's planted at not quite that right time, then, you know, it's dormant for a while. And then maybe later on it gets it gets the sunshine and the rain that it needs. So for me, it's just about being there for people and listening. And if if there's a chance that they feel ready to make some lifestyle changes that will improve their health, then I'm there to guide them if they ask me to. So um, for some people, there are no changes because they, they're not ready for change. But for others, there can be tremendous amounts of change. And it, it only took, I mean, I remember speaking to one patient and it was just a, a five minute phone call where I gave him some very brief tips. Um, I gave him my website to have a look at. Uh, explained a few simple food swaps and away he went and then I you know eight months later he came back to me and he was he'd been on countless pain medications high blood pressure medications cholesterol medications antidepressants strong painkillers he had such a lot of problems and you know he came back to me like a different man his shoulder pain had gone his arthritic pains had gone his blood pressure had come down he'd come off his antidepressants i'd rather he'd done that with my guidance <laughs> but mm -hmm. you know people people do what they do um but incredibly he was also able to reverse his low grade prostate cancer. Um, you know, he, he had the type of prostate cancer that was just under surveillance. It wasn't receiving active treatment, but incredibly with the lifestyle changes that he had decided to make, um, his prostate specific antigen, his PSA had gone completely down to normal, um, which was hugely exciting news for, for me and for him and his family. So, you know, these things can sometimes take time, but for people who are ready, it can just take a moment, like a like an epiphany moment to really to make some shifts. So you know, it, it really depends on the person. I uh, and I know like a lot of people listening to this podcast have have definitely made a, a connection between how I eat and how I feel. And that sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but my own particular journey, it took me quite a long time. But it's quite controversial at the moment, it seems, that there seems to be sort of one school of thought where your food and what you consume supports and, and even optimizes your health as you're discussing. And then there are other schools of thought, also doctors saying that, you know, the food on your plate is not your medicine. And I think we know where you, obviously we know where you stand on that, but that seems like really odd and conflicting information to come from people with the same qualifications. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, and I suppose my my response to that is that I can see both sides. So, you know, taking a patient who has existing heart disease, for example, and if they get super enthusiastic about food as medicine and decide to stop all their medications, their statin, um, then if they've got pre-existing heart disease, which is severe enough, then they could they could come to ill. So it's important to put it into context. I think that part of the reason why 
some people find the whole food as medicine message um, so frustrating is if they come from a background where they've seen people come to harm from rejecting medical interventions, um, but also from the point of view of people who've suffered from um, a difficult relationship with food. Um, I think in terms of situations such as you know, anorexia nervosa, for example, you have a very real, very severe condition where your relationship with food is something that will actually govern whether you live or die because you're not eating enough to survive often, um, especially if you take that on, you know, and don't receive any treatment. And so in that scenario, food is very much medicine in, in some in some senses, but it's 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 about the psychology behind how you feel and the control that you want to exert and the situations of your life that govern that relationship. And I think for people who get quite angry with the food as medicine rhetoric, they can feel like, oh, well, you know, you can tell people that they can have a lot of turmeric and they can cure their cancer and that's wrong. And of course that's wrong. Um, but I like to think about it in terms of really seeing both sides, but understanding that food is powerful our relationship with food is powerful and food is powerful they are both powerful and i think if we can cultivate a joyous relationship with what's on our plate and if we can cultivate a joyous relationship with our body then the two things don't have to be mutually exclusive you can use food for your benefit physically mentally emotionally spiritually and I'd love for people to be able to feel the same way as I do about that. Oh, well said and well put. Now, one of the things before we get into the real nitty gritty of this is that a lot of people, as I, as I do as well, and I've written for health magazines for a long time, is as soon as I hear about a new, a new way of eating in inverted commas, the first thing I would think about is unfortunately, whether I'm a journalist or just looking at it personally or as a consumer, is how will it affect my weight? And I think what I found quite compelling with your story is the fact that you were really open and said, yes, when I was a trainee doctor, I did not really particularly look after myself and I gained weight and I was able to reduce my weight by cutting calories and limiting carbs. So it really legitimizes what you've done in my mind with uh, the whole food plant-based diet in that you've done it the other way so you know the difference between how it, yes, you might get similar results, but I'm guessing that the experiences were entirely different. Yes, the experiences were entirely different. And it's interesting because only recently have I become acutely aware of how uh, diet culture can affect psychology. And that's strange because we're all part of diet culture if we have ever read a magazine or, you know, watch the TV, watch the ads. And, you know, we, we can see that weight is so synonymous with health and beauty um, a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a junior doctor all those years ago, um, interestingly, I, I must have imbibed that message, but um, I, didn't, I didn't sort of feel as though that was synonymous with my worth, like who I am as a person. And at that time, my main motivation was trying to get my energy levels up because I was doing all sorts of crazy shifts, night shifts, late night um, uh, pattern working where I'd come home at like 10 
11 at night. And I was absolutely exhausted that I could not function. I was trying to eat my dinner and falling asleep at the dinner table. I thought, I can't, I'm in my early twenties. How, how can I sustain this for an entire career? And so for me, that was my big motivator. But what was interesting is I had sort of absorbed those cultural messages about what it meant to be um, healthy and synonymously slim. And so, yes, I cut calories and I, um, you know, I, chicken and salads and I was counting calories and doing all that and yeah I got I got results and I felt good about the results that I got but you know I felt like it was work and my cholesterol was raised so even though I felt like I'd done everything I could to be a healthier version of me my genetic destiny was stacking up against me. At least that's what I felt because I'd done everything I could. And fast forward a few years, you know, two kids later, pregnancy, breastfeeding, uh, work, life in general, discovering the joys of a whole foods plant-based lifestyle was just a really different experience because I was focusing on just giving it a go and seeing how I felt, feeling really good, Uh, no calorie counting, no sense of restriction personally, although I'm sure we can come on to how people might perceive that to be true. Um, But for me, it was just a really different experience. And I wasn't focusing on my weight or calories or, you know, any concept of having to move my body, but just moving it because it felt good to do so. And so, yeah, it felt very different. And, you know, when I read the research around more fiber rich, whole foods, plant based lifestyles, I began to realize that actually, if this is something that people were interested in, it could be a lovely way of reaching an optimal kind of healthy size without having to think too hard, you know, because you're filling yourself up with these really healthy fiber rich foods, Uh, You're not setting off your sort of dopamine receptors with a high sugar, high fat, high salt kind of um, foods. You're you're kind of you're giving yourself that more natural food that will fill you up, make you feel good and keep you going. And if you get hungry, you eat some more and, you know, you don't have to think too much. You just you just eat when you're hungry. Well, that's that's at least how I perceive it to be. Um, And some of the research does suggest that these fiber rich foods are tremendously useful for um, setting your gastric hormones right. You know, your leptin, your ghrelin, um, making sure that your hunger signals are more in synchrony with what your body needs as well, which is great. So, yeah, it's it's just a different approach. But I think in a way if it can be embraced, it's one that can get you to a, a way of feeling good in your body without having to worry too much about calories. In fact, not worrying at all. Okay. So let me ask you then, what does this look like? What does eating this way, is it a big change? Well, it depends where you start from. So, um, you know, if you're eating sort of a Western style diet where, you, you know, you're not thinking too much about what's going in, but it generally is uh, meat and dairy heavy with not much in the way of fresh vegetables, fruits or whole grains. And if you've never heard of tofu or <laughs> you don't ever eat lentils, then it would be a big shift. Um, it would <laughs> it would be quite a big shift to make. So we have to always be mindful of where people are at where their mindset is, where their 
where their experience with cooking is, where their budget is, where they live, what, they, what they've grown up with eating, what they're used to. Um, if you've got a generally healthy way of eating, uh, then it may not be so much of a shift because what you're really doing is having loads of fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes. And by legumes, I mean things like chickpeas, lentils, beans, peas, um, and if you can also enjoying some form of soy food as well, like tofu or tempeh or edamame beans or something like that. Herbs and spices, nuts and seeds. And those are the things that are the, the real showstoppers. Those are the things that you want to have in abundance. All right. That's what it means. Um, now, we don't have the scientific data to say that every person has to go 100 percent and eat only those foods. Um, but it seems to me that the evidence of the data suggests that the more, the better. Mm. It's very, like you say, it's very interesting. I had rupee on recently and I was saying, I now sort of, I reckon I'm at about 80% plant-based and I see, I feel the difference and it is a really nice way to eat. But I remember, I remember years and years ago, I must've been in my late teens and struggling with my weight and saying to my mother, I really want to change the way that I eat. And so we you know, got our shopping bags and we went to Holland and Barrett. And I was like, oh, there's this thing called quinoa. <laughs> like, I didn't know how to say it then. And we bought black eyed peas, like all of them freeze or freeze dried or, you know, the ones that you had to soak. And they ended up, I think they were in a little cupboard and eventually after not really using them, a mouse got in there. And so they just got, got put in the bin. Mouse loved it. <laughs> mouse loved that quinoa. <laughs> like, do you have any quinoa? Um, so I, and I, so my initial experience of it, the reason I'm mentioning this uh, is my initial experience of it was that it was quite hard, but looking back as an adult now, I think, well, you probably made it slightly harder on yourself. Just thinking well, if you just buy some beans that need to be rehydrated, then that's probably not a good, a good place to start. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it, it really, let's be kind to ourselves and make it simple to start with. I mean, canned pre-prepared beans is a great way of doing it and they're not they're not very expensive either um it is cheaper of course to get a really big bag of of um like lentils for example that you would pressure cook which is quicker or just you know boil off yourself um but some people have never done that and so why not just buy them in a can and they've already been done for you. You just have to rinse them out and pop them in whatever dish you're doing, you know, whether it's a lentil bolognese or a stew or um, three bean chili or uh, a lasagna or whatever you're making. You can always add lentils to it, quite frankly. I know <laughs> that's, that's my motto anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if in doubt, pop in some lentils. I know, that's it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it makes it a lot easier. You don't have to worry about how it's prepared as long as it's already been done for you. And that's a really simple way of starting out, making some simple swaps um you've got what's what's amazing about the internet these days is that you can literally type in any favorite recipe anything that's your favorite meal and pop plant-based into the search box and you're bound to find some really mouth-watering recipes that add in a few more plants or um, make some plant swaps that you can start to incorporate into your day-to-day -day routine and let's face it most of us only cook about five or six different meals uh, on rotation mostly so if we can make an effort to add one more in each week then after a month or two we've completely changed our repertoire 
Well, this is it. And so I think what a what can also be the focus of something like this is people might think, well, what am I not having? Why am I not having meat? Why am I not having dairy? And actually, one of the things I would love for you to explain is it's not a, it's not veganism, but it's in that neighborhood, right? Right. <laughs> and they're quite and they're quite different in terms of the definition as well, really. And understandably, people do get confused because they are often intermixed and, you know, it. it one is they both have a similar way of thinking about food but there's actually quite a different ethos behind it so veganism is a way of living that aims to minimize harm to animals as much as practically possible and so when you think of it like that then if you're vegan you will of course avoid eating animals because that ultimately causes them harm and so you wouldn't have uh, meat or fish or or um, dairy because dairy industry kills a lot of cows and the same with with eggs because they kill a lot of chicks but it's not just about that you think about well what am I wearing do I want to wear a dead cow probably not do I want to sit on a dead cow probably not and so for a person who's vegan they will think about all the things in their life that uses or misuses animals if you're eating plant-based what you're doing is focusing on eating in abundance the foods that are healthy for you and plant-based eating can fit into mediterranean diet styles you know asian cuisine african cuisine whatever your preferred way of eating it can really in a way broaden things out because you're getting away from a simple meat and two veg way of looking at life and you're thinking about other types of cuisines that you can bring in and it's about more vegetables more fruits more whole grains more legumes so when you see something labeled plant-based in the supermarket now, it's pretty amazing the amount of choice there is, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a healthy choice. It can do, but not always. But what it does mean is that it doesn't contain animal products. Um, when someone describes a whole foods plant-based diet, they're usually referring exclusively to fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes with herbs and spices, nuts and seeds. Um, but plant-based as a term on its own, can refer to any kind of dietary pattern that includes lots of plants. I hope that helps. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So we've talked about the impact that this change made in your life and one of your patients, but throughout the book, you talk about the impacts it has on various other conditions. So for example, you mentioned earlier, and it's this thing that has been coming up in my content over and over again over the last five years which is and it comes up in beauty as well inflammation this thing that we can't see and when you said actually my husband was inflamed when he was coming back from his runs I desperately wanted to say how does how does that look what does that feel like because if someone's listening to this can we assume that we might be experiencing some form of inflammation given modern living yeah I think so and it's one of those things I know that again medical purists will want you to be very specific about what does it mean when you're inflamed and it can mean a number of things but essentially if we take it right back down to the fact that when we as in the process of living we we need energy and we get energy from our food but ultimately energy is actually uh, created inside ourselves and our mitochondria help us with that these tiny little powerhouses um, which are actually derived from primordial bacteria which is interesting um, anyway that's a side topic but um they create energy for us and in so doing 
little things called free radicals are made. And there's something that we can't avoid. And these free radicals are little oxygen species that bounce around inside the cell and they're fast moving and they are, I guess you could say they're toxic because they're like little pins in a pinball machine. They bounce around and they cause damage where they go. What you want to do is help soothe that free radical, that oxygen species. And you do so by providing it with an electron, uh, which helps to balance out that positive charge and calm it right down. And so on a basic level, what's amazing is that food can be one of the mechanisms by which we get these electrons. And that's where the term antioxidant comes from. You have an antioxidant rich diet. It means that you're eating things like fruits and vegetables, which are essentially electron donators. <laughs> so they, they give what the body needs to help reduce that inflammatory process. So, yeah, I think, you know, we will all experience, um, inflammation to a greater or lesser extent but there are certain things in our lifestyle that help to calm that down and eating healthily is one of the things that you can do to to calm it down that's so well explained because i always when people ask me about free radical damage and skincare i'm like well there's this random psycho electron buzzing around Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to transcribe what you just said and I'm going to learn it off by heart. <laughs> oh, bless you. Wait, no, well, there's, I think I wrote about it in the book. So there is an antioxidant and oxidative <laughs> stress section. <laughs> well, and stress is a really a brilliant topic to come on to as well, because I guess, uh, and this came up so much in lockdown, the fact that in the early stages of lockdown, people were perhaps not eating as well and were drinking more. And I've noticed, and I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've definitely noticed a shift in people saying, hang on a minute, we can't keep living like this. But there is this, uh, the pleasure center, the pleasure of eating, which means that we sometimes use it as a coping mechanism. And stress is obviously something that can trigger us to then reach for a glass of red, take the edge off or eat something maybe fulfilling after, fulfilling meaning, I don't know, whatever that might mean to the individual, but after a stressful day, but actually, in the long term that's building up and making the situation worse yeah it, it is and it's it's not our fault you know it really is not we we have been through a tremendous um life shift haven't we collectively over the last year and we continue to be in that um and I remember the beginning of lockdown as I'm sure you do there was so much fear and uncertainty and we all need to use something to help soothe us and food is naturally something that's very soothing because we have memories of things that help us feel good and of course as I also said many times in previous interviews I feel like you know the food industry kind of I know it's just about profit, but they, they, they dupe us, don't they? Because they spend millions on research to make food hyper palatable, just the right amount of sugar, just the right amount of salt, just the right amount of fat to keep us coming back for more because they want to sell more product. But that's why I think it really isn't fair for it all to come down to us and having to exert willpower and say, no, I will not buy those whatever it might be <laughs> I suppose I can't really name names but no I will not buy that thing and you know nobody instinctively reaches for a plate of steamed broccoli when they're feeling bad of course you know people will reach for the thing that gives you that immediate dopamine hit and it's natural it's completely natural that we would do that but I think as long as we have some sense of awareness around that habit and where it comes from and what's what it gives us in that moment and whether we can get that same sense of um 
calm or that same sense of relaxation through something else that would be incredible if we could start to think of it in those terms because it's been a really rough time and you know we need to be kind to ourselves but if we can also be aware of the patterns that can sometimes not be so healthy for us in the longer term then that would be really helpful um and it comes back down to stepping back taking a moment taking a breath and just reaching a state of awareness about where we are Mm. I actually did um back last March or April I had loads of people contacting me really anxious patients but also people online and I just put together I just I just felt like I really needed to put something together for people, which would just help give them that sense of calm in the moment. So I did an Instagram, um, uh, like an IGTV, and I called it the coronavirus carousel. And it was just about how we can come back to ourselves in the moment, wherever we are, whatever we're doing through using the power of the breath. And I find that a really helpful tool and it doesn't have to be technical. It doesn't have to be a specific type of breathing exercise. You could use whatever resonates with you. But in that video, I briefly shared one, which I think uh, lots of people have told me they found it really helpful. And so even now, many of us will still experience stress and anxiety around our current situation. And of course, this has brought to life the fact that, you know, the illusion of control is something that is hard to give up because you know we're never really in complete control of our circumstances in our life and it's something that we like to think that we are and usually we can convince ourselves that we are but when something like this happens it becomes abundantly clear that we can't possibly be in control of everything and so this is just a really nice way of of remembering in a positive way that we need to surrender that for a while and just notice how good it feels to just be for a moment um and breath helps with that tremendously. Well, it's funny you say that I was chatting to a friend at the weekend about how um, if I... It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always dive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I finish work in this office and then go straight into the other room and cook my dinner. My decisions will be very different from if I finish work in this office, go into the other room, roll out the yoga mat, do 15 to 45 minutes of yoga depending on which video takes my interest on YouTube and then eat (laughs) the my eating experience is completely different completely different yeah that's amazing isn't that interesting and what do you feel that is um because of it's slowing down and it's not it's taking it it's literally taking the edge off so that I'm Mm. not thinking oh while the water's boiling for such and such I will nibble on that it's just thinking it's just that um, it's self-soothing. Mm. It is. And I know it sounds like, yeah, sure, I'm going to get on the yoga mat every time I don't want to eat badly. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But in the confines of being in lockdown, um, it, it's a nice step, a nice addition yeah. to play that I know how. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and everybody will have their own version of that, won't they? So 
what what is it for me I think for me it's going outside I'm really lucky because I live near uh, some woodland which is just great because I get to walk to the woods you know that's that's a real privilege but everybody will have a different thing that they know makes them feel good and it doesn't necessarily come from that immediate dopamine hit it comes from activating the parasympathetic nervous system that rest and renew nervous system and although yoga can actually make you sweat <laughs> it also is great at activating that parasympathetic nervous system as well which is which is why yoga is so fantastic um, but there are so many ways of doing that and uh, hopefully your listeners will find a way that really resonates with them and will help them to avoid that immediate kind of hit whatever it might be now, you mentioned sweat, which brings me on to a very nice point, because I was chatting to my brother yesterday and I said, oh, I'm speaking to Gemma today. And he said, please, 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 please. Can you find out about basically somebody who works out a lot, wants to maintain muscle mass and is really thinking about this change, but is confused about the idea of missing out on protein because of no longer having meat in their diet. And this is something I was thinking about. And then when I started to ask around and say, what's the one thing that stands between you and cutting meat out? And it was the protein thing, which I'm sure must be one of these things that comes up time and time again. Yeah, it comes up a lot. And I suppose the best way of reassuring somebody who's worried about protein, because I felt the same, you know, when I, when I, I heard my husband was going to go whole foods plant-based, I thought, how are you going to run a marathon without that, all the protein? You know? <laughs> and so it is something that everybody thinks of. And the best way of answering that is that originally all protein came from plants. And so when you're eating an animal that's eaten plants, that's how they got their protein. And so there's no reason why you can't get your protein the same way. <laughs> it's a really simple concept. <laughs> I feel like I feel like some cloud should have just opened and a bolt of sunlight should have hit me in the face then. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Is that true? Like animals yes. get their protein. Well, if you think about the animals that you eat, so you know, let's think about cows or chickens, you know, uh, or, or pigs for the most part. They will they will basically forage, they are essentially vegetarian. Well, actually, no, let's let's think about this. They're probably they're vegan, aren't they? Because unless they're baby cows, they're not going to be drinking milk. <laughs> so um, basically, they get it from plants. And when you're eating factory farmed animals, they get given feed that is supplemented with things like B12 and all the other vitamins that the animals will need that they're not getting from a more natural grass fed diet. Um, but yeah, essentially they're eating plants and so you're eating them after they've eaten plants um which is essentially where you're getting it from um what a terrible people... protein middleman <laughs> exactly emma exactly um so so different plants have different ratios of protein and it's nice to be able to have a variety of plants so you get different amounts of different types um i've written more about that in the book but you know there used to be this dietetic um concept of having to combine plant proteins in order to get them all and luckily over the over time and with more research that's essentially been proven to be inaccurate you don't need to make a special effort to protein combine in order to get all of the protein that you could need um, because over the course of a day you will be eating a variety of things you're not going to just be eating lentils you're not going to just be eating brown rice you're not going to just be eating tofu so you know whatever it is that you're eating you will have a little bit of a mixture 
and you'll therefore get all the proteins that you're ever going to need. Um, so yeah, I think that is a really common misconception. Um, when people are struggling to get enough calories in general, so say they, they live in a country where there is food poverty to the extent that they can't actually eat enough food, then you, know, you do get cases very rarely of a protein deficiency. Um, but that's because they're not eating enough food. And so I think essentially, if you're able to eat enough food to maintain your energy levels, then you will be getting plenty of protein. So is this true for all of the other things that would come up with this idea that there would be a deficiency if you're not eating meat? Like you would have less iron, you would be consuming less, as you say, vitamin B12. Is that just a complete nonsense then? Because essentially the animals that you eat are getting all of those things that you might be worried you'd be deficient in if you stopped eating the animal are in the plants that they would have eaten anyway well very basically yes but i do think the caveat exists that you have to be aware of certain key nutrients with whatever dietary pattern that you choose so let's put protein aside because that is such a big macronutrient that we can get from plants. Um, but thinking more about micronutrients, if you're having a sort of a Western style diet, that's generally very high in animal products and low in plants, then you'll probably be missing out on a variety of B vitamins, folate, magnesium, things like that. If you have a well-planned plant-based diet, you'll be thinking more about making sure, well, I've got my B12 supplement. I would say that a B12 supplement is really important and I can explain why in a minute. But you also wanna be having a lovely variety of different colored vegetables, fruits, whole grains and legumes. As long as you're doing that, you should be okay for all the other micronutrients. But you know, thinking about things like iodine, for example, that one is an interesting one because Traditionally, there was a big problem in the UK with iodine deficiency. Uh, and in fact, there was a condition that used to be called Lancashire neck, where people would have a swollen thyroid gland um, in that region of, uh, of the UK because there was not enough iodine in the soil. And so if you're, if you're having food that's grown in really mineral rich soil, then you're going to be getting plenty of things like iodine, like a potato could contain loads of iodine if it's been grown in iodine rich soil. But soils are, are being depleted. Now, this is a wider issue of how we farm. And I could go on for ages about that. But essentially, you need to ensure that you're, you're getting your food from places that potentially have a lot of these minerals, but you're not going to know. So when it comes to iodine, I'd say, try and choose a plant milk that is fortified with iodine, much as cow's milk is now fortified with iodine, because iodine is used for cleansing the milk vats where you collect um, the cow's milk, they use iodine to cleanse the vats. And so the iodine is there. And it's one of the main ways that we get iodine now, because of just the way that we eat. And so if you're choosing a plant milk, loads of them now are iodine fortified, just as bread is fortified with B vitamins, for example. So the interesting thing is we take in a lot of fortification and supplementation in our diets without even realizing it, just to try and because for public health purposes. So if you're having a, a Western style diet, chances are you're probably getting things like B12 or um, B vitamin fortification, iodine fortification through food anyway. So I find that really fascinating because I think you know, people say, oh, plant-based diets are deficient because you have to take a B12 supplement. Well, actually the animals that you're eating from a factory farm have taken a B12 supplement 
So I don't have to. (laughs) So you don't have to. (laughs) So, you know, it is an interesting concept, but yeah, I think um, as long as you're having an abundant way of eating with fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes, you shouldn't have to worry too much. But of course, you know, there are different key nutrients depending on whichever, whichever dietary pattern you prefer. Okay, let me ask you this. If you could make changes to the food industry, what would you ban? Oh my goodness. Well, I, I wouldn't ban anything because uh, I, feel, I feel like people would get very cross about that. <laughs> um, what I would really, really encourage and push for is conservation agriculture. I think that this is a huge shift in what we need to do in terms of thinking about where our food comes from. And so I would I would really push for regenerative conservation agriculture, which essentially is a way of bringing life back to the soil. You'd be avoiding tilling the soil because when you till the soil, you're killing the earthworms, you're disrupting the Uh, fungal networks underneath the soil which maintain the soil integrity and in so doing when it rains the water can absorb into the soil it doesn't get washed away with the topsoil every time it rains and so these simple uh, interventions cover crops rotating crops different kinds of uh, food types all of these things are amazing because what they do is they can provide us with more a more plant-rich diet uh we can start to grow more legumes in the uk because we have uh, soil that would be suitable to do so we can grow more trees instead of you know ripping down trees to to create fields where we grow crops to feed animals we wouldn't need to do that anymore so you know i think that would be fantastic um and yeah i would also create if I could, I would create zones in the ocean where we weren't allowed to fish uh, because I feel that that is uh, another big environmental crisis looming um, is, is, the, is the way that we misuse the seas. There is a documentary on Netflix at the moment. I went to start watching it on Saturday night and I stopped because, and I forget what it's called. It's, something, it's the sea conspiracy or something. And the, the images of a big fishing net with the globe in and then all these fish underneath. I don't know if you've seen it, but I thought, no, this is going to upset me too much before bedtime because I know that we are going to find out that we have done terrible things to the ocean and that nothing I can do is going to make a difference. And then funnily enough, my friend Kane uh, messaged uh, with shared that he had watched it was horrified and I said is it really that bad and he said yes we can't have anything from the sea ever at all again the end wow <laughs> so so the documentary is called sea spiracy and uh, I did watch it and part of it was new and part of it was not new to me uh, but I think a lot of it will be new to a lot of people and it was very well done I think it was very well done I actually uh, distilled some of the information in a, in a post recently. Uh, so if anyone's interested to not watch the film, but perhaps read some of the data so they don't upset themselves, they can. Um, but, you know, I think the bottom line is, <clears throat> yes, fish has historically been a healthy food. Oily fish is great because, you know, we get long-term omega-3s from oily fish. Um, but we're not in a position 
I don't think now where we can eat fish completely freely and without consequence. And that's the sad truth. And so the film, I think, has been, I really hope that it gets a big viewership because I think some of the messages in there are really helpful for people when they haven't seen that kind of message before. Um, and, you know, yes, although they can be a healthy food, sometimes they're not healthy. So when you're thinking about farmed fish, for example, they, they, they do suffer from things like anemia and heart disease more than fish that you would catch wild because of the way that they are raised um, and the way that they are fed. They would be higher in heavy metals. Pregnant women are now advised by the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecology to avoid having more than, I think, two or three portions of fish a week because of the heavy metal content and how it could harm the unborn baby. I'm advised the same because of my hair condition. Right. And so we think about, well, if we're consuming PCBs, heavy metals, dioxins, microplastics with our fish, we are the apex predator, essentially. You know, we are we are the largest mammal to eat that fish and we will therefore store that in our own bodies. It's not a great long term strategy, especially the way that we're using the oceans right now. Um, and you know, that's hard to hear. And, you know, there's no easy solution. But I do think that uh, you know, plant-based sources of omega-3 are great so things like flax seeds chia seeds hemp seeds walnuts ideally having them crushed up into a powder so that we can absorb them better uh, and in terms of flax seeds and chia seeds you don't have to do that to walnuts um, but you know the the type of long-chain omega-3s that we get from fish are probably the most bioavailable in algae oil supplements because that's where the fish get them from uh fish get their long-chain omega-3s from algae or algae if you're american and that's that's how they concentrate them in their muscle and so if you want to get direct dha from long chain like the fish do then you can take an algae oil supplement to get your dha so one of the things that we think animals and fish are high in that we think we therefore need in our diet, they are just middlemen, yes. which is really shocking to me. This is obviously listeners will be able to tell. Like, I didn't realize it was that way. Yeah, it, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? I think um, it, when you begin to realize that you think, well, why, why were they eating all that <laughs> when I could have just done it this way? But you know, historically, many humans have evolved to live near the sea and fish have been tremendously useful for that, you know, for our brain development. And we know that DHA is important for babies and for elderly. You know, it's important for heart health, brain health. And so it has historically been a really healthy food. But I think it is time to to, to rethink our relationship with the sea. And um, yeah. And now let's uh, talk about our relationship with our health, because I think that's one of the things that I really, I really took from the book was this idea of being able to have control, take ownership of to the greatest extent that you are able to take it into your own hands. And that is through making these changes. So can we talk about weight? Because I think if we talk about any kind of diet, that's a sort of thorny issue that comes up and I would rather thrash it out with you here then, <laughs> because, let's thrash it out <laughs> yeah because um like I said years ago when I bought that cupboard full of dried lentils and quinoa um, that the mouse enjoyed my my idea was that well if I eat like that I am going to 
become like whoever the Gwyneth Paltrow of the day was. I can't even remember who it was, but I had obviously read it somewhere and I thought, well, I want to lose weight. I want to be healthier. This is what I need. But I didn't think about quantities of what I might eat. And you said something quite interesting about you weren't, you don't count calories, but you obviously had previously. So do you think that the way of eating actually also connects your mind and your body a bit more, meaning that you don't have to keep a log to know whether you've eaten enough or too much? I think so, yes. And I think that food freedom is very important, especially in the modern age that we live in. And so it is a thorny issue because um, when you're thinking about eating disorders, one of the things that can be a red flag is if somebody is uh, purposely um, avoiding entire food groups. And of course, when I talk about whole foods, plant-based eating, naturally there'll be, we'll be minimizing or avoiding certain food groups. And so it is one that can really kind of come to, to sort of a, a conflict there when you're talking about um, having that healthy relationship with food. And having done a little bit of research into this topic now, I would say that I would I would say to somebody that if you're going to go whole foods plant based for the purposes of a certain aesthetic or a certain body size, then I would advise caution because you will find potentially that it could give you um, a tendency towards thinking too much about what you're giving up, what you're avoiding, and it can it can give you that negative relationship. For me looking into some of the research around why people choose certain um, ways of eating. I think going more plant-based for vitality, for improving a certain health condition, for the environment, for animal compassion, these ways of approaching it will mean that you're far more likely to have a healthy relationship with those food choices than if you're just doing it to look good. So I would really advise caution if that is your motivation and just to be really careful with looking at what, what is the reason for this and where does it align with my values? And if my values on this are an aesthetic, then just think twice because I, I don't want for you to, um, to struggle mentally with this aspect of feeling a lot of control over what it is that you're putting in your mouth for that reason. Um, I spoke to a, a research dietitian about this, actually, and also a lady from the US who talks about the concept of food freedom quite a lot, really inspirational. Uh, she's called Tara Kemp. She's a PhD researcher in um, uh, disordered eating. Uh, and Brenda Davis, she's a research dietitian. And although I haven't memorized the studies, um, which so I can't off the top of my head remember the references. Uh, what I remember from having these conversations with these women is that when you eat a plant-based diet um, for reasons other than just weight loss and an anesthetic, it's generally a far healthier approach. And there's no evidence to suggest that if you're doing it for those reasons, there's any more likelihood of an eating disorder. In fact, some of the research shows that the opposite is true. Many people have found tremendous food freedom from the concept of allowing their food choices to fit with their values, um, allow, depending on what those values are, whether it's, as I say, environmental health or animal compassion or health, 
vitality, whatever that is, then actually it has allowed them a certain amount of freedom around their food because they are choosing for abundance, choosing for health, choosing for vitality, choosing for animals, whatever it is. But it takes them away from that feeling of, of um, self-criticism and control. So you have to think about where your motivation is coming from ultimately. Mm, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? So don't, yes. And as somebody who uh, only what, 18 months ago realized I had binge eating disorder and, or a, a version of it, I would say, I, yeah, I, the way I viewed food was very different. And if I, and truthfully, I was looking for anything that would let me eat healthily, but eat a lot. Mm. I wanted right. those free foods, you know? Right. Yeah. And is that something that, that you felt was motivating you above everything else? Um, I, don't, I, I just felt very, very confused around food. Mm. Very, very confused around food. And it, and it is different now, thankfully. But I just, the reason for that cupboard full of uh, quinoa back in the day was because I, I thought, well, I could eat lots of that and I can't eat lots of white rice like my, my family or I can't eat pasta like my family but I could eat lots of that so it was that very warped diet culture good food bad food narrative that I just completely got sucked into yeah I think that makes sense and it's it's interesting because ultimately if we are going to have a healthy body we do need to prioritize these healthier types of food but I think for a lot of people, they really struggle with the idea of um, I, I, I must never eat this type of food. I must never eat that. And if I do eat that, then I've done something wrong and I have to exercise it off or I have to mm. um, uh, I have to not eat for a certain amount of time or whatever it is. And I think that that can that can lead you to a really unhealthy place. Um, so, I mean, having not suffered from an eating disorder myself, you know, I have to be really mindful that, you know, the way that I see things is not always the way that somebody who has suffered in that way would see things. But, you know, in speaking to people who have um, both suffered and or researched this area, I see that it is something that people really do struggle with. And I think what it comes down to is, is having an awareness of um, what you're really trying to achieve and who you want to be and whether food control is your ultimate aim or not and if it is then just take a moment take a step and think you know what is it what is it about for me and how can I make these choices healthily for my mind and my body now you used a term then that I actually hadn't heard before which is food freedom is that similar to intuitive eating I think it's similar um yes I mean I as, as I say intuitive eating makes sense you just as far as I I mean I haven't researched intuitive eating as a concept I haven't I know there was a book about it which I haven't read <laughs> so I'm I can't terrified talk. to read it okay <laughs> I haven't read it and I haven't researched it so I can't speak knowledgeably about the movement of intuitive eating but from what I have imbibed through you know being and living is that essentially what you do is you you kind of eat when you feel like what you feel like and that will help you to just maintain an equilibrium I think that's what it means yeah um but you know food freedom 
I don't know if it's something I've just coined myself or if it's something I've taken in from the environment or from, you know, from people. But I love that as a concept is the idea of feeling free to eat the foods that feel good for you, uh, whatever that means, but also taking that moment to be mindful of, of, of that choice. Uh, why is this making me feel good? how is it making me feel good and taking it from there mm. um so not not fit telling yourself um i heard a really good quote from a doctor uh i can't remember his name now um but he said something along the lines of some people need to be told that it's okay to not eat a donut and other people need to be told that it's okay sometimes to eat a donut <laughs> so, yeah. and so that depends on the person like what they need to hear at that time um but it is a very difficult topic to talk about because, you know, there's also a movement to say, you know, that it's important to that, that people can be healthy at any size. Um, and yes, that's true to an extent. Um, and I think that it's important to also make sure that there's no element of shaming someone for the size that they are, whether they are very slim or very large. But, you know, there is no doubt that, that there are some health complications from being too big. Um, and so that is something that we do have to approach sensitively, um, because I say there's so many factors contributing to that and it's not a simple calories in versus calories out. It really isn't. Mm. There are so many factors at play and it is, um, tremendously harmful to, to think in those terms, I think. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big conversation, which is probably a slightly separate conversation to the one that we've been having so far, but it is really important to have, um, and I, I totally agree. And I think as well, given my own personal experience, I feel as though, well, I, I have felt dismissed when I've gone to doctors before and I've been saying, I feel whatever it might have been, because I've just been told we'll go on a diet or here, have some metformin because I have PCOS and we'll double your dose because that'll help you. That'll help you with your weight. And actually the real thing I should have gone in and, and admitted wasn't, I feel bad. I feel depressed and gaining weight. And I don't know why I should have said I am in turmoil because I can't feed myself properly. I can't mm. be around food. And that's, and that's a really difficult thing to admit because the idea of being greedy or having a lack of self-control around food is something that doesn't, um, it's not a positive char uh, personality characteristic or trait, is it? No think that they're greedy or have lack or lack self-control no yet. and it's it's not the case honestly it's it's not it's not about uh, people people I think people who've never struggled with um their relationship with food or never been heavier or thinner than is considered healthy don't really understand it as a concept yeah. and they just think well you know because I've never experienced that then then they must just have no self-control or they must have you know whatever it might be, whatever phrase they want to use. Mm. But I think it's fascinating that, you know, we all have different genetically set metabolic set points. And we all, you know, when, when you're in the process of going on a diet and then automatically then coming off that diet at some point, it's, it's natural that you would probably gain more than you initially lost. And that's not, that, that's physiologically true. That's not something that we can't avoid. And so, you know, if somebody has got to a point where they are, um, an unhealthy weight uh, and that's like a weight that's too large for um, you know for long-term health then it's a really difficult position to be in and a diet doesn't work uh, it has to be about sustainable long-term lifestyle changes and that's really difficult 
It's really difficult because you could look, I mean, you could look at the same person. You could have, um, I heard this analogy recently, which I found really helpful. You could have 10 people who were all the same height, all the same weight, all the same muscle mass, and they could have up to a difference of 700 kilocalories that they could consume per day and maintain that size. Mm -hmm. So one person would be really struggling. One person would be having to do a 10K run every day and eat less than another person to maintain that same body over the course of a lifetime and i think that that is a really interesting way of putting it because it, it makes people understand well you know there are so many factors involved with our own metabolic set point and how our bodies respond to food um, and you know you could have you could be overweight and really be making huge efforts to eat less inverted commas and you know you you'd struggle a lot more than somebody who had never been overweight 100 and to that point it was the the big light bulb moment for me when i read brain over binge was this isn't about me dieting and exercising because i'm really really good at those things but only for a short period this is about how i live that's mm -hmm. where the change needs to make that's mm. where the change needs to be made um yeah. i i observed when you were talking about food freedom and um intuitive eating it, it uh, seems as though intuitive eating is about analyzing how you feel before you eat and food freedom is more of an analysis an interrogation of how you feel after you eat which is the sort of difference I noticed I don't oh, know you know I'd never really thought of it that way but I kind of like that <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean I think everybody has to come to what they feel most comfortable in what they feel happy with um, and I worry that, you know, the society in which we live, especially women, but everybody is put under pressure to look a certain way. And I really would love for people to make choices around eating, not to think about how they look, but to think about how they feel. This is absolutely true. And even in just, as I said, slowly introducing it into my own life, it is, it's, without a shadow of a doubt, it makes a huge difference. And i if I had overcome my issues with food 15 years ago and had made the changes I'd made in my diet 15 years ago, I sometimes think, oh my goodness, I might have been unstoppable because <laughs> I feel very good now. I feel better now than I did in my late 20s. Emma, you are unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> never tell um, yourself you're not <laughs> so I'm obviously being really flippant but I was but it's just that sort of thing of obviously when you've overcome something and you and you feel the benefits it's absolutely wonderful and so you just you do have that sort of period of thinking of mourning almost thinking god what I've been like if I've been like this at 25 if I'd known these things but that's what life is that you're supposed to learn along the way you're not supposed to start with all the answers so it's okay it's, it's more than it's more than okay that's part of the fun <laughs> well if you want all the answers listeners when it comes to a whole food plant-based diet and so much more the book is so robust and so it's so beautiful as well let's just talk about the fact it is a really beautiful book to read as well it's just so well done but also it's just packed full of really accessible information about this and so if you have ever felt that this idea of plant-based or whole foods or anything in that neighborhood that isn't as you said earlier Gemma about this idea of a plate of healthy food looks like a meat and two veg with a sprig of broccoli if you have always felt if you felt that making a change would be difficult I really do think this is a simple 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 way of not just making the changes but understanding 
what the changes are, how they will make you feel, how they might make you feel and why they are of benefit. So it's Thank a strong you. recommend from me. Thank you. <laughs> That's lovely. You've made my day. <laughs> I have really enjoyed talking to you and I, I'm sure listeners will have picked up on the fact that we could have gone off on many, many tangents and had seven separate conversations about other things. So maybe we can get you back um, in the future, in the near future to maybe dig into some of these areas a little bit more. But thank you so much for your time and your generosity and your expertise. I've loved it. Thank you, Emma. And the same to you. Thank you for having me. You're doing incredible things in the world. And uh, yeah, it's been a really lovely conversation and I'm absolutely delighted to come back anytime. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gemma and me. If you would like to get in touch with me and you do know how much I love hearing from you, please don't hesitate to email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. If DMs are more your style, then you can do that on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or if you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I encourage you to click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and join the Facebook forum. You have to answer a question and agree to the forum rules, but then you will be welcomed in to a really wonderful chatty forum full of brilliant, brilliant, or should I say most excellent listeners just like you. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.